Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you get a guaranteed return on investment of your time as we cut your learning curve with the information you can apply to your farming operation immediately. Extreme Ag, we've already made the mistakes, so you don't have to. Managing your farm's water resources is a critical component to a successful and sustainable farming operation. Advanced Drainage Systems helps farmers just like you increase their yields up to 30% with their technologically advanced water management products. Visit ADSPipe.com to see how they can keep your business flowing. Now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings and welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you invest a few minutes of your time and you will shorten your learning curve by days, weeks, months, or even years, because you're going to learn from experts, professional farmers that have been setting yield records, but also they're, they're guys that will admit their mistakes and tell you their failures and then tell you how they got through them and you can learn from them. I've got one such person, a guy that's been uh, very, very proactive about a lot of things on his farm. He's leading Lubers with Lubers Farms in Gregory, South Dakota. Farms in conjunction with his partner, which is also his brother. And they are on no-till operation. They have always been out there doing new things, being progressive and proactive, and not afraid to experiment with new stuff. We're talking about their farming operation, and today it's about business, because we're talking about the importance of having a good working relationship with a banker. Lee Lubers, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. So um, you uh, give us a little background on Luber's Farms, and then we're going to talk about the big one, which a lot of farmers don't want to talk about, money. Okay, give us a little background. Uh, my brother and I, we farm roughly 17,000 acres of tillable land in South Central South Dakota. We are corn, soybeans, and winter wheat. Uh, we have been also raising some sorghum and sunflowers off and on throughout the years, and uh at one time, even dabbled in some edible beans, pintos, and navies. So, a dry land operation just off the Ogallala Aquifer and no real access to it. So, it uh, can be a challenging environment, but a very good yield environment, too, if we get adequate rainfall. Okay. So, uh, you, um, you know, you hear, okay, 17,000 acres is a large scale operation. And we're not talking about 17,000 acres that they farm every other year, because I've worked up in Morrow, Oregon, for instance, where uh, uh, some of that land, you've got to let it sit around and gain moisture for two or three years before you can farm it. But you're talking about 17,000 acres every year. And the listener might say, ah, oh, well, they probably inherited half that. Tell us a little bit about the background, because what we're talking about today is about having a lender as a business partner and to grow and expand your operation, it's vitally important to have lender as business partner. So going from where you were to today, give that background so then we can talk about the money aspect of it. Uh, we grew up in the eighties and uh, they were the financial dirty thirties. Uh, they were tough times. Uh, I remember when interest peaked out around 20% on the evening news and I was a young kid and it's like, oh my gosh, because we're a farm family and we're in the middle of it. And uh, I graduated high school in 1986. My brother graduated in 1982. Nobody in our family had ever went to college before. And we both said the same thing. We want to stay at home. Times are tough. Help try to save the family farm. Uh, Mom and dad said, no, you're going off to college because if you don't do it now, you're not gonna do it. They were absolutely right. Uh, 
my brother went to uh, area Votech school for ag management. I went for ag business. And uh, in my, just the beginning of my second year of the program, uh, one of my teachers came into classroom and he said, hey, there's a CHS scholarship and it is awesome if you win. It'd be retroactive, it'll pay all your tuition and book fees for both years. And everybody's gonna apply for it. And we're like, oh man, you know, we thought it was like a real drag. So you went and had to get three references and uh, write out basically your resume, so to speak, in the initial steps. And I did that. I got uh, three different guys in the area and ag trade businesses uh, to write references about me and presented that. And there was about uh, three different cuts in the deal. And it was a nationwide scholarship covering like six, at the time, 16 states, I think it was. And uh, made it to the first round, then the second round. And then here I was down to the final nine through our school. And uh, we had to meet at uh, SDSU in Brookings and uh, wear a suit and tie. And when you're 19, you're not used to wearing a suit and tie, let me tell you. And uh, so we go up there and they said, it's a 15 minute interview with people on the CHS board. And we have no idea what it's gonna be about. Everybody there from all the other states and even the ones from my school, they were all pouring through financial data on CHS and going through all the numbers. And I said, I'm not doing that. They're like, Lubers, what's your problem? Why aren't you doing this? You gotta do this. I said, no, I'm gonna wing it. I said, we don't know what they're going to throw at us. So I said, they may not even want to talk about that. So going through the process and waiting for your 15 minute interview, and I'm watching other guys come out just ringing with sweat when they're done. And <laughs> finally they called my name towards the end and I went in there and it's this big, huge table and all these supervisors and regional managers from CHS and there's a clock behind them. And, uh, a few minutes into it, they said, well, Mr. Lubris, can you tell us about the Gregory County Pump Storage Project? And at that time, it was a proposed project that was going to pump water up to the Missouri River that we border on and then generate electricity as it ran down back in the river at night. So I was pretty well versed on it because it was going to affect our livelihood and be right in our backyard. And talked about that. And then we switched to another subject and another subject. Next thing I know, the interviews at about 45 minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, this is going really good or really bad. <laughs> so I finally just ponied up and I asked them, I said, excuse me, sirs. I said, uh, they said this was going to be 15 minutes and we're going on 45 minutes. I said, is there something wrong? And they said, oh, no, we've been done for a long time. We just enjoyed visiting with you. So <laughs> I walked out of there. I ended up being one of the two national winners on that. Uh that paid for my tuition and book expense. And being in the 80s, I was very frugal and always going back on weekends and working. So did my brother when he was in college. So I took the money from my CHS scholarship. And after I graduated from Votech, I put that on a down payment on a John Deere 4630. And then I rented 160 acres of blow sand just in time for the great 1988 drought. And uh, so that's technically how I got started in farming. My brother had a Dodge Challenger. That was his pride and joy in high school and through college. And he sold that to a guy in Kirksville, Missouri. And then we got in a pickup and drove to Carroll, Iowa 
to three brothers that farmed and bought a wore out, or he bought for $3,500, a wore out John Deere 105 combine. And it needed a lot of work. We worked on that. We'd work on it all night. We, we were doing custom bailing for neighbors, anything we could do to generate a dollar. And we had a cousin paint it for 50 bucks. And we started doing custom combining for neighbors and uh, picking up a job here and there. As soon as we got another $3,500, we went and bought down to the same guys, bought one of their other wore out combines, did it all over again. So that's kind of how we got started in farming. I took part of my CHS scholarship money into a tractor down payment. And I remember my payment was $1,900 that year. And I worked hard all year and I totally burned up and I had to borrow $400 from my dad for my tractor payment. So, so this is about, uh, this is about 89, eight, 88. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. And so there you are, like a 20 year old kid and you're, uh, and you're, you're going, so you've got a little bit of rented ground, no owned ground and some, some junk equipment that you were able to patch together to use for your own stuff and for some custom work because somebody was in such bad shape. They needed two young guys to come in and, in depreciated, uh, dilapidated equipment to do the custom work for them. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. Yeah. We started out with junk. Uh, our first cultivators, we were bidding against the junk buyers at auctions and we'd bring them home. We'd strip them down, sandblast them ourselves, put on the hinge kits, everything, rebuild them so we could do custom cultivating at the time for other neighbors. And yeah, it, it was all about sweat equity. All right. And- so- we were at the local bank and uh, our dad fed cattle and there was debt there because the 1980s and feeding cattle right away, the bank wanted us to sign on to that debt. So technically we started out in the hole and we were there for uh, several years. And then uh, one day they said, we're not going to renew your guys's note. And it was right when we we're going to the field. And then uh, we went to some other area banks and they said, no, we're not going to take it because you must be hiding something because your numbers are fine. And we said, no, it was a personal issue at that bank. Oh, wait a minute, just so I know, you, you, were, you were signed on. How old were you then, Lee? Uh, I would have been about uh, 24, 25 years old. So you'd and, already gotten, you'd done with your college and you'd already proven yourself by, by, by upgrading uh, cheap equipment and, and you kept the, the bills paid. And so mm-hmm. there was no, there was no delinquencies, defaults, and nope. you just no. walked in there to get your operating line. And the guy says, no, no, nope. it was, it was a personal issue. They, they had trouble with us, uh, uh, with our growth. And even we went to another local bank. And at that time we were farming collectively 2,200 acres and they said, you guys are too big. And so we ended up, uh, the local cooperative through farmland out of Kansas city, we got an interim note for crop inputs and between that and then custom work doing combining for anyone doing custom planning we worked night and day uh we made sure the bills are first we were second and uh, we worked that's just what we did for about three four years uh no time off ever for anything we do custom grain hauling combining planting anything we even did custom shop work for people <laughs> so- to make and this is, and we're back, we're through the eighties. It still ain't good, but we're now talking early nineties. Yeah. yeah. We're getting up into the, uh, uh, we're getting up into the early nineties. And then, uh, 
in the spring of 1995, our dad had a heart attack right when we we're getting ready to go to the field. And we just, and at this time we were still running our financing through farmland, which is just strictly input financing and doing everything else out of our pocket from scrimping and saving and working and custom work and uh, making sure all the payments were made. Everything was going, you know, good. Our dad had a heart attack like three days before we're going to start going to the field to plant corn. And that's when we started to do our transition to no-till. We added 2,000 acres that year, and we reduced our tractor hours by 25%. And we got it done. And uh, in that same year, a friend uh, in southern Nebraska, John Deere dealer that we were dealing with and buying equipment from, he recommended uh, we talk to an individual named Roger Johnson. And he worked for a bank down there, and he said he is really good, and he said he cares about his customers. And I remember he came up with the full bank board and it was very intimidating. And they looked through all of our stuff and they said, well, we can see you're making all your payments and you're covering everything, but uh, you don't, you don't own any, hardly any ground yet and uh, so on. But they said, we're going to take a chance on you. And they did. And we were with that bank for uh, till about five years ago right up until Roger's retirement. And Roger wasn't just our lender. He was a mentor to me. Uh, he was very instrumental, part of our success. And I I'll always owe him for that. Uh, he even told me about 10 years after the fact, he said he had to convince, after they left our place that day, he convinced the bank board to go with us. Cause he said, you look at these guys, they've got an unbelievable drive. They have the want to. He said, they're a diamond in the rough. They just need a little polish. And he said, with a good lender, these guys can really be something. And that, by the way, you got introduced oh. to that particular lending institution from a friend that also sort of wanted to mentor you along and said, hey, yeah. you're hardworking, you, you are, you're obligating your debts, and you just need a little bit more of a, of a capital partner. So kind of what I'm here, right? Yeah. We never missed the payment. We were always on time. Bills were first, we were second. That was our philosophy. Mm -hmm. And, but we did not have a good lender to work with. As soon as we did, that was like a catapult for us. That really propelled us forward. And you couldn't do, it wasn't in your hometown. You you went, no. And you went no. an hour or two away. Uh, we were actually four hours away. And they and they're and they're not a big national lender. This isn't Rabobank we're talking about. This was a no. They, they were a Nebraska. They were a corn and beef bank. I mean, that was their backbone. And they went with us. We were their one customer in South Dakota, and that was due to Roger going to bat for us and saying we're a diamond in the rough. And then uh, that that worked out very well. If you hadn't gotten rolling with that bank, would you be where you are today? we would not be where we're at. I know that we'd, we'd still be in the game. We'd be, we'd be at farming, we'd be part of agri production, agriculture, but uh, it wasn't just due to the fact that we had a great lender to work with and a great lender. His job isn't to say yes, it's to say no. It's to not to micromanage your business, but to look at it and say, this is what I think you should do. I mean, and analyze all the angles and, he, and Roger saw the value in people. And that's one thing uh, an ag lender, uh, we've noticed really good ag lenders. It's not just the numbers, they see the value of the people because really in our operation, the most valuable asset that we have is the people that we work with. 
if there's a young person right now that wants to shorten their learning curve, that's why they're tuned into Extreme Ads Cutting the Curve podcast, and they're saying, how do I get that? How do I find this Roger guy? How do I find someone that's going to go to bat for me? Because I believe that I've made all my payments and I'm doing everything right. I just, I need that capital partner. Do you have any thoughts or advice? Uh, we took the approach that you're applying. It's like applying for a job. We had all of our documents together. We had our folders together. It's like you're going for a job interview. And that was our approach to it. And uh, we found the right fit. And uh, your whole goal is to find a lender that's your working partner. Uh, I see so many times in agriculture where people view their bankers in an adversarial way. It's like, my banker won't let me do this. He won't let me do that. I wanted a new tractor. Well, maybe he wasn't supposed to have a new tractor. I mean, they're your working partner, but I, I just can't understand where some people have that philosophy that in a more adversarial way of their lender, they don't have that relationship. And once you have that relation, you build that relationship and you have that, that is such a strong thing for your operation. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible what it can do for you. I don't have the level of uh, certainly operation you have. I do deal with a community bank. I've known the bank president since I was in kindergarten and I had him on my own podcast and he said something uh, interesting. It made me think that he actually understood very plainly what his role was because it's not just about the dollar, right? Dollars are everywhere. Uh, I, I mean, they, it's a, it's a, it's a, they're everywhere. Dollars are everywhere. Banks are everywhere. He just said, I look at my role because I heard a speaker at a conference once say, you're not in the business of lending money, you're in the business of uh, helping people achieve their dreams. <clears throat> and especially, you know, whether it's buying a house to the person that's never owned a home that was raised in an apartment or you know, on welfare or something, or to somebody like you that says, I've got this vision for what Luber's Farms can be. It's a matter of understanding that. And then that is makes you look at the relationship as this person can help me achieve what I want to achieve. Like you said, let's not make it adversarial. So um, <clears throat> that's obviously what you're trying to accomplish. How do you establish and maintain a great lender relationship? You had it for a long, long time. And then also I want to talk about when that terminated. So tell me about the relationship, how you maintained it for all those years, and then how it ended. Uh, full transparency. Uh, we laid out everything in our operation. We always do an open communication. And I've always, since the era of working with Roger, I've always kidded with who I'm working with. It's like, if you feel I'm telling you too much, you know, like I, I, I will call once a week and let them know just what's going on. Pop them an email when we're busy, uh, letting them know what's going on, how we're progressing, even what our challenges are. And, uh, and I also, I, I nicknamed it the battle plan uh, when it's renewal time. I'm not intimidated by it, but I, I give them a battle plan. It's basically, this is what we're planning on achieving this year. This is what the numbers are showing, what we feel we're capable of. And uh, these are the things we would like to do and crunch it out to the numbers to say, this is what I think is achievable. And uh, also what our challenges are, whether it's workforce or uh, spike in inputs. Uh, I like to show people that we're keeping a good pulse on the business. <clears throat> Relationships. You had one with that person and now you, you don't because he retired. Did you change banks because of that? Or did you change banks for another reason? 
that was that was a that was tough on me. Uh, I had a long relationship with Roger, and like I said, he wasn't just a lender; he was a mentor. Uh, it, uh, totally invaluable. All the things that I learned from him over the years, but he was at a bank where they were not looking ahead at the future themselves. They were not letting him enter someone to take his spot. And he forewarned us, uh, us and us alone, essentially, that within two years he was going to retire. And he said, you guys need to be looking ahead. Because He said, when I'm gone, this is not going to be the same. And he says, I think you can find a better fit uh, once once I retire. I'm guessing, and, I'm guessing his employer didn't like that that, had, that conversation happened, but uh, that proves something about the relationship. That, that uh, yes, Roger's integrity. I mean, uh, yeah. And respect him so much for having that conversation with us, giving us the heads up. So we literally went and uh, I talked to our accountant, some other uh, very good producers that I network with and uh, just said, hey, we are going to be looking for someone in the future. What's your thoughts? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Who are you working with? And that's something a lot of people don't like to talk about. You know, you went to who'd you go to to start doing the feel? I went uh, first to our accounting firm, hundred miles away. That they're a large accounting firm, but very ag oriented. And uh, I started asking them questions. I went to some Hutterite colony friends that I respect very well that I've uh, known for over twenty-five years. Uh, some other progressive operators uh, in South Dakota and even outside of South Dakota and Nebraska and North Dakota and uh, starting asking questions with people I knew that since we network, they would talk to me openly about it. And uh, the most common one that kept coming back to us was First Dakota and even a certain individual that they said is exceptionally good to work with. And uh, we did the same thing. It was like applying for a job. Uh, we contacted them and told them what we were wanting to do. And my brother and I went over and before they even came to our place, we was there for three and a half hours in the boardroom and we laid out our farm on paper and our entire history to them to give them peace of mind and then invited them to come out to our farm for a tour so we could show them who we are in person. And uh, we came to an agreement that this could be a very good fit. And it has been a phenomenal fit. Uh, Roger was actually happy for us. He said, you guys made a very good choice. And it was a hard choice because worked with Roger for a long time. Uh, but that era was coming to an end. First Dakota is exceptionally good. They'll work with you from your club cab, calf and 4-H up to the day you're going to retire and transition. Because they have uh, beginning farmer programs. And they even have the Keep Farmers Farming Program. Uh, they're very good about succession. And uh, just we're extremely happy. We found a very good fit. And uh, they want to see us succeed. And that is so important. That's the best part is that what you just said is that it proves the whole partnership aspect of it. Uh, money's available everywhere. You know, uh, I get... Uh, I get pieces of mail from Tillable. They want to loan me money. I get uh, John Deere credit. They want to loan you money. If you buy a seed, they'll loan you money. Um, I can go online and borrow money from all different sorts. Money's flowing. Capital's everywhere. Now there's crowdfunding. There's companies and organizations set up where they want to 
you know, pool a bunch of people have a hundred grand and then put it into a big fund and then they'll loan you money. There's all kinds of money out there. Right now, ag is in an upflow. I mean, you guys are killing it out here with these commodity prices. You probably have bankers that call you once a week that want your business and will give you cheaper interests. Is that true? Oh, everybody, everybody's trying to get your business. And uh, none of our business principles have changed. Uh, we're not going out throwing around money because crop prices are better. It's about uh, building working capital, uh, keep building a war chest. Uh, when times are good, uh, great. <laughs> That's great for us. We get to propel ourselves ahead. But we want the guy who's got our back when corn is $3 and it doesn't cash flow. We want the guy who's got your back when you got 2,000 acres hailed out in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the guy you want having your back. When times are good, everybody wants a piece of the pie. But as we all know, uh, agriculture is very cyclic in nature and enjoy today, but prepare for tomorrow. And we're, we're all about the, the long-term race. You know? uh, there's a reason I asked that question the way I did, and I'm pretty sure it was obvious to you, and it's probably obvious to our listener that, yes, the point is when you're in an up cycle, everybody and her sister, remember, there's going to be a time when uh, <laughs> it's the old thing of everybody and her sister wants, a, wants, the, wants your business, and it's easy now, but what about when things aren't flowing? And like you said, when you're at a negative cash flow or you've got uh, you know, some things in the trough, you need to, you need, that's when you need the money. It's the old thing, you know, coming up in show business like me, everybody wants to be your agent when you're an easy sell. You want the agent that's there for you when you, when nobody wants you, right? It's the same thing for a, a lender. Lots of farmers are reluctant to talk about money. I've been around them my whole life, right? You bring up the subject of money and they all want to pretend they're poor, pretend they're broke and all this. I think it's detrimental. I think it's a very, it's a very, bad mindset to have because this is a business after all. Is there a reason? Is it, is it the culture? What's the deal about ag people not wanting, if you sat with a bunch of business people, they would talk about EBITDA and return on investment. Farm people, not so much. What's the deal? That part I've never understood myself, but it's a very common mindset. Uh, there's one thing that we're very big believers in is you cannot raise yourself up by knocking someone else down. So we're not negative people. We don't talk negatively about other people uh, in our industry. We just don't. And at the same token, uh, it doesn't matter if uh, the tractor has 10,000 hours or you just get it from the dealership. We're going to wax it and take pride in it. And, and that's the way we're going to be. Uh, there's nothing wrong, we feel, with trying to present yourself as a successful business person because we are running a family business, a legacy-based business. We're, we're in a very unique industry. Uh, we have probably the best retention level for businesses going on, family businesses to the next generation when you compare it to conventional businesses in the United States. But yet it's like people like, want to portray it as like downtrodden and whatnot. And it's like, no, take pride in what you do. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being successful. There should be no shame in that. No, we don't go around flouting it. We just, but guess what? If we wax our tractors, it's because we take pride in it. 
Yeah, I actually, I, it's one of the things, you know, I've been around ag for my whole life and I speak at ag functions all over North America. And the one thing I've never understood is this, this sort of pride in pretending to be poor or pride in, uh, in telling everybody how you're, how you're broke or you didn't make any money this year. There's no business with a dry cleaner down the road or any other business, the car dealer that would, that would flout that. And I've never understood it. It's a very, shall I say, debilitating mindset. So my, my, uh, you're, you're the expert here, but my advice to our listener on this subject is uh, certainly uh, get a good bank l- lending partner, but also look at money just as a, a first off, a measure of, of your accomplishment or your uh, business's success, but also as a tool, as a thing. It's just, a, it's just an inordinate object, right? Mistake or misjudgment that you have made, Lee Lubers. Lubers Farms didn't, uh, it's not a vertical ascent, right? You don't go from where you were out there doing custom harvesting with a a 14-year-old broken down uh, piece of equipment to where you are today. You've made a few mistakes. They weren't all, they weren't all, uh, it wasn't all, uh, you know, the right decisions. Mistake, misjudgment, when it relates to your finances. I I wish I would have been a lot more dialed in on financial management in my 20s. It was a big learning curve. Uh, That's where Roger was instrumental in that. Uh, The bank, bank, your first big banking partner. Yeah. He taught me uh, a lot about uh, business management and what what components are crucial. And uh, and I always want to learn. I mean, whatever I work with, I want to understand it. I mean, I'm not intimidated by a balance sheet. I've, in, in our peer group, I've been around people that are terrified of their balance sheet. Uh, give me a balance sheet and I'll digest it. I mean, there's so much that can be gleaned from that, from information and going through multiple years and looking at trends. Uh, with First Dakota, I they turned around the screen just like Roger did and here it is. And I asked the same thing of her accountant. And, and I asked them each year. I said, don't tell us just what we're doing right. Tell us what we can do better. And I want that input because that is going to make us stronger as an operation. Top tip, lesson, rule. Let's say rule. That's probably a better thing. Some of your rules when it comes to financing and borrowing money to keep your farm business going. You had one rule, pay the rent and pay the bills first, pay yourself second. I heard that one. You got another one? If you are not working with a lender that you feel has your best interest at heart and is not willing to be your working partner, go find a new lender. That one is the one I think we close on. Is that the one we close on right there, Mr. Lee? Hey, that, that... that is that is going to dictate your success. I think That's, you're the most important relationship that you ever have is your family, and that first and foremost is mine. I, I'm so fortunate to work with family and have my daughters, my wife and daughters. Secondly, the most important business re, business relationship I have is with our lender, and then with all of our landlords and all of our input suppliers. Those business relationships dictate our success. If we don't surround ourselves and work with good people, we will not succeed. 
I think that is a wrap right there. His name is Lee Lubers, Lubers Farm, Gregory, South Dakota. And my name is Damian Mason. I'm the host of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast. If you want access to great information like you just heard from Lee Lubers, you can not only find things at extremeag.farm, you can uh, keep up with these podcasts and these uh, videos they put up there, but you also could become a member, meaning you could uh, pay a little bit of money and have direct access to people like Lee and the other Extreme Ag team where they'll answer your questions. They'll pick up, they'll answer your phone call and help you get along because as he said everybody needs a mentor thank you for being here lee hey no problem anytime till next time it's extreme ags cutting the curve podcast that's a wrap for this episode of cutting the curve but there's plenty more check out extremeag.farm where you can find past episodes instructional videos and articles to help you squeeze more profit out of your farm cutting the curve is brought to you by advanced drainage systems the leader in agriculture water management solutions.